we are in a series in the book of Galatians called One New Family. One New Family. And I just, I just want to give a disclaimer up front, a little prefatory comment. Today might feel like uh, a, a, lot of, a lot of truth, a lot of uh, words even, with, a, with not a lot of application at the end, because I'd really do... I, that's not because this sermon isn't prepared. This sermon took a lot of hours to prepare, but I realized because of the, the topic of Galatians 4, there isn't an easy bow to tie at the end of this one. It's almost like the beginning of a conversation that we're actually taking into the spring with a whole other series. So more on, that, more on that at the end of this teaching. So, so, so if this teaching has a title, it would be this. When the church was a family... Um, it might sound, that might sound cynical, as if we're not a family anymore. We are. Uh, but this first church that Paul's writing to, they had a very robust idea of what family looks like and what we're supposed to live like. And we need to recapture it desperately. And, and so that, that's what this is about. So, so to set up, just to set us up, have you ever noticed that churches use this language? Family. Welcome to the family. They'll make big you know, bumper stickers or marketing campaigns, like you belong to the family or whatever. Um, or if you've been around Park Hill for a while, we just said, Luis and Erica, spiritual father and mother. This is all family language. Or, you know, brothers and sisters. Have you ever wondered where that came from? Um, and, and, you know, Sandy and I, we describe our, the way we lead as spiritual father and mother. Specifically for us, that looks like we use the phrase front and center, you know, where I, I, I'm primary communicator, and so I lead from the front, but Sandy's primary visionary and leads from the center of the key meetings and the key prayer moments, and she really shapes the trajectory of this church from the center of it. And so that's, that's spiritual father and motherhood in a family, right? And so family dynamics, they roll out differently in every church, uh, but every church is called to function this way, and they even use this language Sometimes it seems flippantly, right, as, as family. Have you noticed this? Um, or maybe you've heard it so much, the church is family, that you don't even notice it anymore. And it's just like white noise, you know. Um, uh, and, and the thing about family is that we all have dysfunction in our families of origin. So we don't always like talking about the church as family, right? Some families are more dysfunctional than others, which is why it's so important to go back to when the church was, you know. And so in this house, in this house, the Holy Spirit moves humanity from dysfunction to function. From, from all our families of origin and the patterns that don't belong into health by the power of the Spirit through Christ's work on the cross. This is how we become the family of God in the church. And so you could say it this way, day by day, in relationship with one another, around scripture, prayer, communion, confessing sin, practicing justice and generosity, this is what's happening. You ready? God the Father is pouring his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And we're being reparented. Remember that word. We are being reparented here. In this way, we're being refamilied here by God and one another. So in this way, we can know and be known. And be reparented into who we really are. Love children of God. This is what's supposed to happen here. So it's no wonder why family and like siblings language is the primary way the writers of the New Testament talk about the church. 
right? And it's not just the New Testament, but ever since the Bible was written all over the world, there's this massive practice everywhere where Christians call each other sister and brother, right? Uh, Maybe you grew up in a denomination where people actually had titles like Sister Sarah, you know, or Brother Tim. Uh, It's been going on forever. There's traditions where, you know, Father Robbie, you know, you even call Father Robbie. And it's part of our, this is part of our heritage. It's been this way for a long time. So let's, let's camp out on this question. Have you ever wondered why this is? And maybe there's a, a separation between we call each other this, but why am I not experiencing this? That is, a, is why we need to rediscover when the church was family. Why do we call each other brother and sister instead of like friend? I think of Bambi, friend owl, you know. <laughs> why don't we call each other friend John uh, or colleague, you know. And when did this sibling thing start? So at some point, someone made the conscious decision to use family to identify us. And it wasn't just clever marketing, you know. You know, I I recently took my Sprinter van to get serviced. We have a giant van because we have a giant family. And uh, we took the van into this service center. We didn't want to go to the dealer this time. It just felt too pricey. So I found this little mom and pop shop that does just Sprinter vans. And we got this... uh, we got this email after I booked the appointment. It's like, we treat customers as our sprinter family. And I'm like, not going to lie, I like that. <laughs> like, if, it felt good. I don't know what it means at all. But, uh, like, do we get sprinter Christmas or sprinter birthdays? Because that would be awesome. I don't know what it means, but I like it. I'm on board. It's clever marketing. It's playing on my deep need to, like, belong to something. Uh, but is that what's happening at church? Welcome to the family, where we come and then we go. The obvious answer is that's not what's supposed to happen. It's not supposed to be like a sprinter van family. Because Paul gets this idea straight from Jesus. There's one story in three of the four Gospels, the Gospels are the biographies of Jesus in the New Testament. In three of them, there's the same story, which doesn't mean it's more true. It just means the writers thought it was central to this project. And it's this one day Jesus is teaching in a house. His mother and brothers come looking for him because they literally think he's out of his mind. And they say, they say this, while Jesus, you have the next slide, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. And then watch what happens. How does Jesus respond? He replies, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he says, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Who's my family? Jesus says. Is it that woman out there who gave birth to me? Not disrespectfully, but it's a genuine question. Or is it those, those guys out there who I grew up with in the same house, biologically? Is, or, or, or is my family you guys? right here in front of me, sitting at my feet, hearing and responding to my father's voice by submitting to scripture and spirit. Who's my family, he's saying. And his answer is, it's those of you who believe in me as Messiah. It's right here. And if you surrender your past, present, and future to me and bring all of your diverse identities to me and surrender them to my story and identity, you're my new family in the world. This is the truest thing about you right now. 
This is what Jesus is saying. And just like that, Jesus redefines true family with him in the middle. Don't get me wrong. He doesn't erase or diminish your identity or your ethnicity or your nuclear family. He doesn't diminish nuclear family. We got to be careful not to overreact here. All of that's still good and beautiful, but now he points to a newer higher, a newer higher, okay? Identity, and it's in himself. And it's this new high family, the diverse, united family of Jesus. This is a radical redefinition, you guys. We don't feel enough gravity from this. We need to. And here in Galatians, Paul's grabbing onto this and unpacking it for a church that's divided. He's like, hey, you're actually not divided. You're actually united. If Jesus is the son and you are in Christ, that means you're adopted children. Which the next step is logic. You're sisters. It's just true about you. You're brothers. This is where Paul is in the story. The church is just getting started. And in the very beginning, it was all one ethnicity. Jewish. And then Gentiles, the non-Jewish ethnic group, starts coming into the church. And some of the Jewish Christian leaders were like, hold on, we need to require these Gentiles to take on some Jewish identity markers in order to belong. And Paul's like, not if I can help it. The gospel's not about becoming like a certain tribe to belong. In this family, we don't unite around ethnic identity anymore. We don't unite around sexual identity anymore or social class anymore. But don't get me wrong, it's not that those identities go away. Our ethnicity, our sexuality, our reality of our social class. These are real, still realities in our lives we need to grapple with. We don't pretend they don't exist. Which is, and the point is, all of those differences are welcome now at the table. They're all welcome here. Which is the point of the gospel. All those, all the identities you bring become secondary and take second place to the new shared identity in Christ as is one new family. We live out of that primarily. No longer live out of our secondary identity. And we all have them. This is what Paul's fighting for. This is what Paul's fighting for. So with all of that background, look at the, the verses Irene just read. Let's read them in English now. Galatians 4, starting in verse 8. Formerly, when you didn't know God, you were slaves to those who by nature aren't gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts. He's like, I'm afraid my gospel preaching was wasted on you. Why? Because he's basically saying, hey, church, you're living like you don't know Jesus. This is a harsh moment, but it's also very fatherly and motherly, as you'll see in a moment. Paul's saying, hey, church, you're living like you don't know Jesus. You're not gathering for anything anymore. You're just gathering against things. You're not gathering for the kingdom or for Jesus. You're gathering like you used to before you were Christians. David Brooks, in his book, The Second Mountain, he talks about the difference between tribe and community. I don't know if you've read David Brooks or heard him speak. 
He says this, tribe is the evil twin of community. Community is built on mutual affection. Tribe is built on mutual hatred. And Paul's saying, you're acting like tribes, church. You're rallying around what you're against. Please repent and remember who you are and who you are for and rally around that. You'll find radical unity. And then to make his point, he gives his own backstory. He reminds them how loving they were to him when they first met. Look at verse 12. He says, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me. I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial, he got sick and it was tough. But they didn't treat him with contempt or scorn. Look at verse 14. Instead, what did they do? They welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? We think Paul may have been sick with an eye infection. And so he's like, you took care of my eyes. You would have given me your own eyes. You were so sacrificial. What is going on now? You're debating that I was even a true prophet or a true teacher. What happened? You were unified. You came together to take care of me. You were Jews and Gentiles, and I was a Jew, and it shouldn't have worked. But you gave me your best sickbed. You treated me like as if I was Jesus. What happened? And his point is, listen, you are still that family. That's still who you are. That's still the truest thing about you. Now I'm just begging you to act like it. Return to the first love. I saw it from my sickbed. How does this resonate with you right now, Park Hill Church? How do you hear the voice of Jesus saying, go back to your first love. Remember the relationship you had with me? Remember the way you would share scripture and prayer with people in your spiritual family? Maybe people in your biological family who are also brothers and sisters in Christ. What happened? I beg you. I beg you. Become who you already are, and you used to know that, he's saying. Whatever it takes, have the hard conversations. Bring up the elephant in the room again in love. Call your estranged parents or uncle or whatever. Invite that old friend to tell you the hard truth. What do you really think about me? We're going to get into this in April, (laughs) how to have these conversations and the biblical basis for it. I think that you think I'm crazy and mean. Is this true? I'm listening. And then listen. I think you think that I judge you. Is that true? Do you really think I'm judging you? Tell me the truth. I'm listening. I'm not going to talk for five minutes. Here's my timer. Whatever it takes, Paul's saying, suspend your personal rights, suspend your personal preferences for the sake of inconvenient love. Do whatever it takes to restore unity. Paul's like, that's what, that's what you did for me. I was a Jew. You unified for me. You took care of me. Now do the same for each other. And he keeps going. The rest of our text, verse 17. Those people, he's talking about the divisive people. Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us 
so that you may have zeal for them. It's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I'm with you. My dear children, for whom I'm again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I'm perplexed about you. That's the end of our text today. Paul's intense with family language. And, he, and what does he call the church? My dear children, I've birthed. And now I feel like I'm birthing you again, he's saying. He's like, um, he's identifying with motherhood here. And he's saying, your immaturity is killing me. You get mature, and I'm in these pains of childbirth until you guys get it. <laughs> until you get mature. So please celebrate your diverse unity in Christ, please. And unite around your primary identity. Not against what you're against, but for what you're for. And that is kingdom. How are you missing this in any sphere of life? So, so this is the message. That's the text. And this is new in Paul's day. Brother and sister? What are you talking about? We didn't come from the same house. We didn't come from the same nation. This brother and sister language was brand new. Remember, the church is only like 20 years old at this point. This is revolutionary. And it's not just Galatians in the New Testament. It's all the letters. Paul uses sibling language, brother and sister, 118 times. He talks endless, endlessly about God as father and church as family. God as father, church as family. It's like every letter, that's one of the main points. And so here we are, right? Here we are, Park Hill, San Diego, 2022. Everyone is invited to belong to this family of the church. Whoever admits their need of Jesus' forgiveness and healing, the following statement becomes the truest thing for you. And here's the statement. United with the Son, you share the Father's love through the power of the Spirit. Now the Spirit empowers you to live in loving self-sacrificial relationships within God's diverse loved family forever. This is the heartbeat of the gospel, the result of the gospel in the world. It's beautiful, right? Isn't this beautiful? So you wonder, like, where is a lost world? Where is a dark world that's war-torn and tired going to find belonging? It's right here. That's the call. But here we are in the mess, right? You know, I, I, mentioned, <laughs> I mentioned healthy communication strategies with estranged family, and, you, and many of you laughed. It's like, wow, I feel, I feel like how, how intense that is and how much it's needed. I feel that. We're in the mess. It's complex. Life in San Diego in, in, in this time. So what does this look like? How do, we, how do we do that last slide? How do we do that? Joseph Hellerman, he's a pastor and professor at, uh, at Biola and a beautiful pastor. Uh, he's done a lot of great work on the church as family. Uh, and it's so helpful. He makes this point, you guys, it's this. In the, in the first century, <laughs> so different, so different than here. In the first century, people had this very basic idea and it's this, you have one true family. 
And you're like, okay, how is that revolutionary? No, think about it. In a world without hospitals, without medical insurance, without workman's comp, or even a workplace, so to speak. Physicians were for the rich, no nurses. You just had family. That's it for like birth and sickness and death. You, all you have is family. So you can imagine your family gets your highest loyalty in a way that takes precedence over every other group in the world because there's literally no other group to support or take care of you. This is your social security, your family. So your family gives you your social security, your identity. As Paul's using this word, this is what he's saying. Family, in, the, in that world, family is the place where you are, of course, going to sacrifice your own needs. There's no other way to survive and give up your interests and your personal desires always for the group, 100%. You're starting to feel this. This is why this is important for us. According to Hellerman, that's what the first century meant and heard when Paul's like, brothers and sisters, it stunned the deepest part of who they are at their core. It's not just warm fuzzies like, welcome to the Sprinter Van family, you know? And you suddenly feel like you belong to a brand. Not at all. Slide 12 here. Paul is talking about submitting our individual identities under our new collective identity and pledging our loyalty into the church. Have you ever thought of that in those terms, pledging your loyalty into the church. Why do you think the earliest creed we have, the Apostles' Creed, says, I believe in God the Father, and in the same creed it says, I believe in the one holy apostolic church. I trust. It's a pledge of allegiance, you guys. Is this, is this on your mind while you're here at all? Is this, is, this, is this part of, you got up in the morning, you're like, part of my pledge of allegiance to God is this, I pledge allegiance to this church. If, if, if this is not part of your regular thought process, that can be forgiven, <laughs> you guys. Just, it can be forgiven because this is hard for us. I actually think this is probably one of the hardest, if not the hardest teaching we don't talk about. The hardest teaching we never talk about. As Christians, so hard we don't even let our brains absorb the literal truth of it. We make it a metaphor. Here's some reasons why this is tough. This is hard, church as family, pledging loyalty. Number one reason why? Because we like our natural families. I love my wife. I love my kids, right? I like my parents and my, my biological siblings. I love them. It's great. So this idea that the church thing is somehow supposed to take precedence over my natural family in some way, that just sounds off. Thing in me, like I don't even know how to process that. Like something in me, something in me starts to feel guilty when I think about that. Like when Jesus says, those who do the will of God are my brother, sister, and mother. That has to be a figure of speech. Because if he's being literal, that just does not sit right. I don't even know how to have this conversation with my biological family if this is true. So, number one, we like our natural family. Number two, there are people we don't like in this church. <laughs> right? 
Like, why do I have to be family with this church? How, what does that mean? I, I, I'm totally happy sitting in row 12 and then not talking to everybody. Um, there's people that just rub us wrong at church, right? I don't want to be family with them. That's very real, very real. And number three reason why this teaching is hard is because, and this might be the hardest one, we're Americans. We live in a hyper-individualistic society where we see the church as some sort of opt-in club or gym where we show up once or twice a week and have friends maybe there. And for us, the idea that we'd find our identity here in the church and that we owe loyalty and that we sacrifice our interests and desires and wants for the good of the whole, that doesn't compute. Like, how does that practically work out? It goes against our DNA as Americans. That's why it's hard for us to compute. Even if, and I would say, especially if we grew up in certain forms of church. So I could be wrong, but I'm guessing this topic doesn't resonate with the vast majority of us. Which is why I said at the beginning, this sermon might not feel like it has immediate applicable like points at the end. We will have them over the next few months. We will have application because this one takes some unpacking and deconstructing of things that don't belong. But I'm guessing this topic doesn't resonate with us. Uh, and listen, that is as it should be. That's okay. If this doesn't fully resonate, that is as it should be. Because listen, Jesus and the Bible are countercultural. That's how it should be. The Bible teaches things that explicitly confront aspects of every culture, not just America. Aspects of every family culture, which is why we need reparenting. The teachings of Jesus go against what resonates for that reason. The church as family is probably one of the most countercultural teachings of Jesus in 2022 Western culture because it attacks the heart of American individualism and consumerism and our you-do-you-and-I'll-do-me culture. So let's be real right now. Ask yourself this question. You know, do I see my church as my true family? Do I? Not in a way that diminishes your nuclear family or your biological identity, none of that. But do you see your church as owing your highest loyalty with Jesus? I'm going to guess most of us answer no. That's okay. That's okay. It really is. Because the Bible also teaches us that following Jesus is a process. It's a process of figuring out how to live into our true identity. Case in point, personally speaking, Evan is in Christ. I'm in Christ. I'm, I'm in, right? My identity is one with Jesus. And that's the truest thing about me. Which means I'm supposed to act like Jesus, right? But do I always? Not even close, right? But I have good news. The Holy Spirit's working on it. The Holy Spirit's working on it. He's working in me and sometimes he even works through me where people see Jesus in me. And Jesus is real through my life for the sake of people around me. And that's, that's true about me personally. And it's same as true about us as a community, as a family. Together as a, as a family, we're the family of God. That's just true. 
That's just true. And we're stoked with that truth. But we have to confront the reality. We're also supposed to behave like it's true. But do we always? We don't always behave like family, and which means we don't all experience this church as family. Many of you have joined community groups and you've had an amazing experience and others have been like, I just can't, I can't figure it out. I can't figure out how to like belong, right? I'm not asking for a show of hands, but if that's you, that's to be expected. We're in process as family and as individuals. About a month ago, a very kind member of this church came to me with a concern, complaint. He was uh, just nervous. He didn't want to, he didn't want to share this, but he did. And it was, I'm like, it's okay. Just share. Like I need negative feedback as much as I need positive. Uh, We need to be transparent, authentic family. What's on your mind? And he's like, Evan, I love this church so much. I love my community group. They're amazing. Worship and prayer Sundays is amazing. I just, I just, and he's like faltering. He's like, I'm so sorry. I just don't know where the family is. He was having difficulty experiencing church as family. Where's the, where's the thing under the thing? Where's the beating heart under it all? I'm having trouble. Can you help? And after we talked a while, I prayed with this individual and I was like, I get it. Beautiful truth and sad truth. Beautiful truth is the church is the family. It's already true about you. Sad reality is not everyone experiences this as true. Which is why the good news is so good that the Holy Spirit's working on it. Our leadership team at Park Hill, we're structuring for it. We're actually making hiring decisions now around this value. Our prayer meetings are praying for it. Tonight, come to seek night. But most importantly, the Holy Spirit of God is committed to working on this family dynamic and making it more real to more of us. And the question, here's the question, are you committed to it? Are you committed to God's family project? Church as family. Maybe you're like, yeah, sign me up. Like, I'm, I'm the one who doesn't feel like I belong. Yeah, that would be amazing. What, what does it look like, Evan? Paul shows us what it looks like in the text we just read. Four quick observations from the passage. Number one, fam, church as family, it looks like we take care of each other. That's just non-negotiable. Remember in verse 14, he says, even though my illness was a trial, you didn't treat me with contempt. Paul gets sick and the church becomes not a metaphorical hospital. We're good at making metaphors out of concrete things. He becomes, they become a literal hospital with a real bed and real food and real treatment. Where is this happening? This is basic to family life. We take care of each other even when it's hard. Basic needs are met here. Healing happens here. Through prayer, prayer is very concrete, you guys very concrete. Prayer moves the hand of God. Prayer shapes the future in ways it would not have been. But also sometimes God calls us to be physical answers to our prayers for provision. And as family, we actually meet basic needs that we hear about through prayer. Is this happening? So number one, we take care of each other. Number two, we have honest disagreements. Remember verse 16, Paul's like, have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? I'm telling you like it is. (laughs) He's not backing down from a clean fight. This is a clean fight. It's not a dirty fight, right? 
Families fight. That's actually one of the written rules in the Park Hill Elder documents. Park Hill Elders commit to, quote, if necessary, fight like family. Because families fight. And to experience church as family, we need to be a place where we can have honest disagreements until there's complete clarity in our relationships. And that is so hard to pull off. I mean, I just recently had a text exchange that went so south so fast with folks I never imagined. I'm like, oh my gosh, I was insensitive. I texted too quick. I wasn't considering the context or what they'd been through that day. And the text I got back was like, whoa, I was being heard in a whole other light. And I'm wrong. And I actually sinned because I wasn't thoughtful. How can we hash that out here? We have to. Maybe you're like, well, my family must, <laughs> my family must have been really family because we fought really bad. Maybe that's what you're thinking. Families fight. But, but, but think about it. There's fighting clean and fighting dirty. Maybe fighting didn't really work that often very well in your family. Your family never learned to fight clean. Maybe yours fought dirty. Just avoidance, stuffing emotions until an explosion. And relationships are lost and you're still feeling the fallout. And now, and now you bring that into the church. It's not all your fault. It's the family that you were parented in and the patterns you're bringing into this room. And now you don't know how to talk about stuff. We don't know how to do it. And maybe we're afraid that if we say the wrong thing, then we'll make a sister or a brother an enemy. And so there's these old dynamics at play in the new house of Jesus. And on top of that, on top of all that, there's like nice California churchy culture where we just expect to smile and hug. And uh, we'd rather walk away quietly than say anything at all sometimes. And we settle for false peace. We keep the false peace because the hard work of making peace would require clean fighting. Man, we've got an uphill battle, you guys, to be a family of true peacemakers. This is the family of God. This is God's family, and we're called to fight for unity. Um, So we need to do this because number three, we realize our family is under threat. This is what Paul says in verse 17. He says, those people, those demonically inspired dividers, those divisive people, They're zealous to win you over, but for no good. They actually want to alienate you from each other so that you'll be on their team. You guys, do you hear this? Remember, there were powerful forces working to break up the church. And Paul reveals their demonic intent. Do you know that Satan and the powers of darkness want to ruin this good thing that we have? Two weeks ago, we talked about that evil eye. Satan has an envious eye. He wants this, this beautiful creation. He wants to wreck this diverse tapestry. Because he hates the image of God. And here we are. Uniquely empowered by the Spirit to be the male, female, diverse ethnicity, one new family, imaging the God who is three in one out into the world. And Satan's like, not if I can do anything. I'm a defeated enemy, but I'm going to go down swinging. Do you know this? And today we're bombarded with voices that want us 
Like that verse says, they're zealous for us to be on their team. I know that, I'm sorry, I know this, fan, this, this teaching is hard, <laughs> Uh, but it's, but it's, it's this moment in the middle of the letter where Paul, Paul's like, I, I beg you to see reality as it is. There are voices, and today it's you know, news and podcasts and blogs, social media posts, all kinds of causes. Some of them are good, but like these, the, some of these loudest voices are political voices. Actively plotting to alienate for them from each other, benefiting from our fights so that we have zeal for them. It's like Paul foresaw the social media algorithms that benefit off of our division. He's like, this is all to get you. Uh, But in the end, the fourth thing he says, here's what families do. It's actually okay to be zealous because Paul's extremely zealous for the right thing. He's like, you wanna know what I'm zealous about? Be zealous for Christ to be formed here. Verse 18, he says, it's fine to be zealous provided the purpose is good. And he's like, here's the one place I'm zealous. Next slide. He says, my dear children, for whom I'm again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Until you are shaped like Jesus. I'm aching for this to be true about you. Paul's like, honestly, that's what gets me up in the morning. That's what gets me up in the morning, that we be the mature, growing family of Jesus. That's all I can think about. Is this passionate? Is this passion yours? Um, what does that mean, that Christ will be formed in you? You're already in Christ. You're a child of God, but Jesus through you, man, that takes a long time. Come read your Bible and pray every day for 50 years and come back to me and let me see. This is what Paul's saying. I'm aching for this aching to see Christ formed in you. Jesus starts small in me. His character grows and it's a lifelong process. And Paul's like, my passion is to watch that process. Gets me up in the morning. Is that what you're passionate about? Park Hill, this is the place where this process happens. It starts with baptism, which we're going to witness the, the beginning of Christ being formed in an individual and forming the community around Jesus through baptism. We're actually going to give ourselves to it. And the table, bread and cup, giving ourselves, like we, we, the phrase we use every week, another brick in the wall of the house God is building, bread and cup as we're being formed. This is part of it, you guys. And not just on Sundays, but week after week, in community and seek nights and all of that, out of our worshipful response to the God who saved you, you're already in Christ. None of this is to earn his favor anymore. So very practically for us, what does this look like? Park Hill Church, uh, 2022. I want to go back to that word I used at the beginning as we wrap up. Reparenting. Reparenting. Um, I think that's such a helpful word. I don't know how many of you have used that word before. Reparenting. It's the best word I know of for why, the why here. We choose to submit to Jesus and his church to grow away from the dysfunction that we picked up in our families of origin and wherever we grew up. Everyone, I know we all have amazing families, but we all, everyone has a dysfunctional family too. And we're being reparented into God's family. This is where it happens. This is how we change. Reparenting. 
And it happens in all kinds of ways. The three minutes over coffee, uh, right here during church, or a coffee meeting somewhere, or you run into someone, or you make a plan to go on a double date, whatever. Like, it happens all the time. But the primary reparenting strategy this church is committed to is Park Hill Community Groups. This is like, if you can make a system for it, which churches are supposed to have organizational aspects, then our organizational piece to do this is communities. Communities. So here at Park Hill, we don't have discipleship programs. I don't know if you noticed that. Um, And here's the main reason why, because reparenting is not a program. It's a way of living. Programs, programs have start times and end times and graduations, but you don't graduate from needing Christ formed in you. As long as you're breathing air and Christ hasn't returned yet, you'll need to be reparented into God's family. Like Pete Scazzaro says, Jesus may be in your heart, but grandpa's in your bones. And the task of discipleship is to get Jesus more and more in your bones. And honestly, you can disagree with this, but as, a, as, a, as one of the primary leaders here at this church, I've slowly become convinced that one-on-one discipleship may be less effective than maturing in a group across the board. In the Gospels, Jesus never works one-on-one with any of his disciples ever. He's always at least in groups of three or four. Even Jesus' personal conversations with Peter happen in front of groups. It's like the group is the vehicle for discipleship as a context. And Jesus is like, everyone, see what I'm doing here. See what I'm doing here. Do what I'm doing here around people like I'm doing it around you. This is what God's family needs to look like, talk like, act like. Now go, do it together. That's Jesus. And, and so, so the way we have led our church to embody that is through the community group model. It seems to be a similar model to what Jesus used to establish church as family. Um, obviously, that can change in all kinds of different contexts, but that's, that's our season right now. And we, we really believe in that. Sunday here, and then week, with smaller gatherings throughout the week, where you can know and be known. And so this is why also, this is why we call our community group leaders, if you're here, this is why we call our leaders frontline pastors, because that's literally how they function. COVID was wild for community group leaders. Volunteers, unpaid, connecting dozens of people throughout the month, trying to over Zoom, well stinking done. Like, so, like, standing ovation. Um, So our community group leaders create this environment for reparenting to happen. They set the table. They get the meal going. They make prayer space and space for... And it's... And they open the door to belong. This is what we're called to as a church. And it's been beautiful to watch God grow this church in this way. But listen, we're not naive. Park Hill leaders aren't naive. We realize that for many of you, you're like, that belonging is not my story here. I haven't felt that yet. I've been trying to. I desperately desire it, but it's not working. Or maybe you're like, my group had a painful breakup just painful conflict and we're not meeting anymore. Or I've gone through something really hard and nobody reached out to me. And if that's you, I want to be the first to say in this room, like, I am so sorry. 
That's so painful. And I know there's a lot of you who've experienced something like that. And, and second, secondly, if that's you, listen, this week, can you please reach out and tell someone? Like wide open door, reach out and tell somebody. Because listen, it might be because the people in your life don't realize what's going on in your soul. These last two years have caused a lot of us to get sort of laser focused on our own little bubbles, right? And so I want you to reach out to someone because there's been hurt for a lot of us. A lot of us have struggled. And so as we, as we continue to grow out of the COVID season, I know it's still very much going on in many ways, but as 2022 opens up, we believe there's a lot of things we need to talk through. <laughs> we need to talk through it, and we're going to. So after Easter, May and June, can you put slide 20? We, this is the series. After Easter, we are doing a series called Emotionally Healthy Relationships. Um, if you remember, this is, so we're going to explore the tools from Scripture, from the life of Jesus, on the inner capacities necessary to experience maturity in this family by the power of the Spirit. So this, that's, that's what we're going to look at, uh, how to relate to one another as the family. If you've been in this church since 2018, you might remember our first Emotionally Healthy Church series. A lot of you said that's the first time you experienced church as family, which is beautiful. So this will be similar to that, but for a new season as a church. So it's going to be really important that you are in community in the spring. So if you've not yet settled into a community group, uh, this, is, this is a key moment for this, you guys. This is the call um, of this teaching. Uh, so, and so on that, on that, we're reworking our basics class. This will be the gateway into the life of this church. Keep slide 21. Yes. Yeah, so it's a whole new, whole new class where you can come meet the leaders, ask the hard questions, hear what we're all about as a church, but also what is, what is, <laughs> what is the long haul look like? What is the long haul expectation as a follower of Jesus in this community? Um, we hope everyone can come for this. We're hiring new, we're restructuring, hiring new staff and, and all of that. Uh, and we're so excited about this phase. This basics class moving forward, that class will be the only way to enter a community group moving forward. So you will go through this and you'll you'll understand, we'll be starting on the same foot and there'll be clarity and that's beautiful. And which means you guys, here's a huge call. Uh, we need a lot of you to step up and lead. We used to require three months in a group in order to be a leader. We no longer have that requirement anymore. And that's for several reasons that we'll unpack in the future. But we would love for you to consider leading a community in this time. Maybe you've been in a group for a couple years and there's a stirring. I wonder what it would look like for me to lead. Talk to us. Go to the Connect desk. Let the Spirit continue to grow and establish His family through your spiritual parenting. That is, that is the need. That is the need of the hour. Hopefully you guys hear this. That is the need of the hour. Um, so maybe you're a family with small kids and you're like, community's never worked for, for like very simple reasons. Like small kids and stuff, it's so hard. Um, and I just want to say, if that's you, if you're a family with kids and communities are hard, I feel you. Like I'm so there with you, 100%. There are more little kids in our 
community group than adults. Um, there's 10 adults, married and unmarried, and 13 kids from three months old all the way to 17. Um, it's wild and beautiful. We'll be in the middle of like silent prayer, breathing, listening to the spirit. And then like a, a, a flock of five-year-olds will run through the middle of the room. And it just, it just belongs. Or a fight between siblings will break out over what thing is going on. They want to share the controller or whatever. And we're just, Holy Spirit, come. You know, it, God is, pre- that's a family. It's a family. It's like we're family, right? It's, it's like we're family. And I know it's hard, but this is the call in Galatians, which is why we tell our younger community leaders, a, a lot of our community leaders are single and we've had this conversation. They sign on to lead and we're like, hey, hey, maybe this means uh, you buy some toddler toys for your roommate house and maybe a baby safety gate for some families that may come to your group. Maybe that's what this means. Uh, on your staircase for community night, because we have never, we have never created groups based on affinities. We've never had an official men's group or women's group or a single mom's group. Those things are so good and beautiful, but we haven't done that specifically. The churches that do that are great and we, we need many. We need obviously, but for us, just in this time, we've intentionally created space for the full range of diversity in all groups, as many as possible so that Galatians and the gospel in that way can be realized in a unique way for our time. And I know it's hard, but this is, this is the call. Moment. We have it, guys. This sermon, like I said, it doesn't end with a big personal moment of reflection. It is a community call and, and, and almost a vision call for who God wants us to be as a church. And we're going to live into that through communion and baptism as a group right now. How does that sound? Okay. Good. Yeah, sometimes teachings end with like contemplative moments. Sometimes it's like, let's, let's do it. Let's do it in response to Jesus. So that's what, this, that's what today is. Um, so can we stand together? Yeah. So Holy Spirit, would you come now? Thank you for building your family, the church. We want to be re, reparented in the likeness of Jesus. We want you to have us. We want you to make us your, your image in the world. We want to live like you, not out of some quest to reach God or earn more favor or anything like that, but because Jesus, you invite us into this life you call abundant. And this is where we experience it. May your church become a place of belonging for those who long for home.